0: Broadcasting live from the stage, this is The Monstrous Feminine, a podcast where horrible humans talk about horror. My name is Zeba, and I'm joined by my starlets, Mila, Louisa, and Taya. And this month, we are talking about hag exploitation horror. We will be covering the 1962 psychological horror Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, directed by Robert Aldrich, the 2022 slasher X, directed by Ty West, and the 2022 horror thriller Barbarian, directed by Zack Kreger. Before we get into the film, go ahead and follow us on Spotify, YouTube, or the Apple Podcasts app. You can find all of our links on our Instagram at The Monstrous Feminine Podcast.
1: In Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, we are introduced to young starlet Baby Jane and her overshadowed meek older sister Blanche. Jane, enabled by her father, is bratty, stubborn, and cruel to Blanche, but their mother makes Blanche promise that whatever happens, she will show Jane compassion and forgiveness for her behaviour. Fast forward in time, and we learn that Jane's popularity waned whilst Blanche achieved fame as a Hollywood actress, using her influence to secure Jane some movie roles as well. However, Blanche's thriving career is tragically cut short by a car accident that paralyzes from the waist down, rumoured to be caused by Jane, who is now a known alcoholic. The sisters live together, but Blanche is confined to the upstairs bedroom due to the lack of wheelchair access. Jane is increasingly abusive towards Blanche, resentful of her sister's success, and when Blanche tries to call for help, Jane becomes more and more violent and unstable.
2: I'm pleased that you have a friend. That's what you need. Oh, sure. I, I was just hoping maybe maybe I could meet him and-, and we could have a nice talk. Just the three of us. Yeah, you'd like that, wouldn't you? Then you could tell him a whole lot of lies about me scare
3: him off or maybe have him for yourself
0: what is everybody's thoughts on being old getting older bodies changing minds going to other places are we afraid of it do we think we're gonna age gracefully
3: i'm afraid of that summary you just gave
0: that is telling because I didn't intend for it to be scary. And I think aging is fine. I am increasingly annoyed by like, our
3: society's continued disdain for like midlife women and older women and aging. I feel like right now, in particular on TikTok, there's such a push to like, if you don't spend like an hour on your skin, gua shawing, if you don't get the specific pillow that doesn't tug on your skin, if you don't, like get Botox in these specific areas. Er- I'm just like, listen, no tino shade to anybody who wants to do any of these things, have any cosmetic procedures. That's all within your remit. In terms of like the culture we have that is so against aging, I just find even now I'm feeling pressured to already, like, oh my God, if I don't do this thing, I'm gonna ha-. and I'm like, actually, I really, if it's just me by myself, do I even care? No, I'm really annoyed <laughs> that we always have like this, pressure above their heads as a society like isn't it it's a privilege to get older why don't we just embrace it I'm really tired of like feeling pressured by the internet to like do things to myself I don't want to waste time in my present moment beyond what is a normal amount of skincare routine like I don't want to waste time in my life preventing me from looking like I've like lived I just rather let life happen you know Maybe I'll feel differently when I'm slightly older. Like, Maybe I'm just saying that because I'm still 27.
2: But I feel like when I'm in a place where I'm more stable and I'm older, like I will care less about this stuff. Most of the people who I see preaching like, drink out of this straw so you don't have lines on your face, are actually not that old.
3: They're not supposed to drink out of any straws. They would have us not use straws. What about my lipstick?
2: <laughs> I mean, I think it's really nice to see like, how you've aged. I have looked the same my entire life. So
0: I thought that until I got my passport photo taken recently, and I was like, oh goodness, that is in fact a 10 year age difference. So thankfully, I do look better than I did when I was 16. But I guess my question is like, I'm thinking about my mom just turned 65. Hey, or she's turning 65. Today is her birthday. <gasps> Happy birthday. It's a big birthday.
1: Honorary hag. Honorary.
0: <laughs> At what age do you claim hag? My grandma on my 18th birthday was like, technically you're a spinster
3: now. What? Okay, so, no, spinster is a different era because like it's it's defined by what society views as like women deemed past their prime, and then I think that morphs into hag.
2: I think hag is like the creepy old lady in the woods. Hag is like old but also deteriorated
3: like a hag right now and these films that we're talking about these actresses are like 50 but they're meant
1: to look older in the movie
3: their prosthetics
1: you know they're made to look a lot older than that
3: women will just be like viewed as that regardless of whether they are actually
1: that i think it's a
0: state
2: of mind
0: i think you can be a hag at much younger ages depending on your
2: mentality i have never heard someone call someone a hag and like in real life i have gay people love calling other people hags oh, oh
3: yeah
0: yeah, yeah 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 but equally, those are like young women yeah it, but it really knocks you down a few pegs to be called a <laughs> <laughs> are <you kidding> me?
2: <laughs> the monstrous women is on instagram so please follow and comment if you do engage with our content you might just get a shout out on our next episode as our witch of the week This episode, our Witch of the Week is Cherry Kills who commented on our American Psycho post and said, I've missed y'all so much. Please never leave again with a heart emoji with hands and a stressed emoji
0: so sorry that you were stressed. Cherry kills. We also were stressed which is why we take breaks but we feel guilty all throughout with sleepless nights.
3: We screenshotted that and well Mila screen, I think you screenshotted it and put it in the group chat when you sent that and it was like a yay! Look at people being cute. So thank you. That was an uplift in our spirits. It's nice to see that we haven't come back to being and like we're just completely irrelevant.
0: Yeah it's always a gamble so thanks for waiting. I'm sending lots of the little korean finger hearts thanks to everyone for being patient we hope that men was a good theme to come back to
2: friendly reminder that we are also on patreon For one pound a month you gain access to our discord for three pounds a month you get to hear a cut discussion from our main episodes and for five pounds you get all of that plus the opportunity to pick our themes films and discussion points please support us any contribution helps
3: I thought it'd be good to do an overview of like what hag exploitation, also known as hag horror, also known as the Psycho subgenre, what all of that means, because I think it's a really interesting horror subgenre. Dare I say, I think it's probably the most mon theme. I think it's the subgenre that encapsulates absolutely every single monfem theme there is, and I'll go more into that, but just in terms of what Psycho is as a subgenre. Peter Shelley, in his book called Grand Dame Gruniel Cinema: A History of Hag Horror, talks about like a lot of the films that we're gonna do, like Baby Jane, and calls it the psychobiddy subgenre, which combines concepts of the Grand Dame and then the Grand Gruniel, which is like apparently means puppet. But anyway, films in this genre conventionally feature a formerly glamorous older woman who has become mentally unbalanced and now terrorizes those around her. And this is all I'm quoting from Wiki, but per Shelley, for a film to fall within this subgenre, the movie must use... Grand Ronyal effects and have the actress who portrays the lead character as one with airs and graces of Grand Dame. He further stated that the common hallmarks of actresses in the subgenre included those who no longer were considered leading lady material or had previously specialized in just supporting roles or had not worked for a long time. He also says that the criticism of the subgenre is somewhat inaccurate because sometimes it implies that the actress is like lowering her standards by acting in a horror film and it implies that her earlier work was somehow superior. And it also kind of
0: implies that the actress is only playing that character out of desperation. So in this book, or I guess generally in your research, Louisa, did you find that people generally interpret this subgenre to be misogynist?
3: Interesting question. And I was hoping we could unpack this in relation to the actual films as they come up. Because I think there's a lot of like a divisive opinion between like, Okay, when we talk about hack horror and we're talking about the big boom of them in the 60s, which largely kind of begins with like Sunset Boulevard or like in this film that we're doing, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, it's very much tied to the actresses themselves as individuals not having any opportunities. They have opportunities. Like these were big, like Joan Crawford and Betty Davis are huge stars, but like their mid-life careers were like showing fewer opportunities. So then they kind of found like resurgence of their career later in life, but they could only play like these quote unquote hacks. So, like, it is born from misogyny. It's born from Hollywood only having, like, what, a 10-year acting span for, like, women. And then after that, they're forced to play, like, supporting roles and they can't be leading ladies anymore. The basis of it is misogynistic. But then there's also, as with anything with horror, whenever we talk about queer monstrosity, whenever we talk about Black horror, there's something kind of powerful in being able to reclaim that. And I also think because these films were already breaking with a lot of like the aging taboo by like centering a leading woman. They were able to break with like other taboos as well and do more,
0: but I think that's a later discussion. No, I appreciate that clarification though because I think like obviously casting real actresses in that tradition does feel a bit separate from just having an old lady who's a young actor or actress in prosthetics as opposed to like a real older actor feels like a really different split in the genre which makes this movie and movies that came out in this era different than the ones that come later and like we can unpack that when we get to those other types of movies but I just yeah I wanted to know I don't know because I feel like some people really feel this way about aging and that can be the horror as opposed to (laughs) depicting how we let women rot in houses after a certain age is a real horror which I don't mind being in movies and I don't find misogynist but I think, you know, obviously my brain is like, but this is obviously rooted in misogyny. So that's good for me to know off top before we get into it. I think the three films we have encompass like each stage or each element of
3: what hardcore could be actually really well. Like we have the origin of it, say, in like Hollywood, where it's like really tied to the actress playing it. But then we also have with Pearl, we'll see where it's more about like, fear of aging itself and then we have barbarian where it's like taking something it's not even really about aging so more you're just like taking like sagging breasts and like an older lady naked but then made super grotesque and it's like completely divorced from the original history of it so i think we have like each stage represented and we can like talk about it in turn when we get to each film but this is the start of it i guess
2: I think another thing that makes this film really interesting is that Bett Davis and Joan Crawford did have an actual feud. And a lot of their feud was kind of based on how they were pitted against each other in Hollywood and the competition for roles. And I think back in old Hollywood, there was definitely more of a competition because there was such a limit to complex roles and especially the roles that you could get nominated for awards for. But even now, it's kind of interesting if you look back at who we grew up with as being the perceived A-list actresses and actors who were in every film and who everyone deemed to be incredibly beautiful, like Angelina Jolie and Jessica Alba and how nowadays uh, they're a completely different list of people because actresses just don't have as long of a span in which people cast them to be perceived as beautiful. But if you look at the actors, you still have Brad Pitt being put in roles where he's supposed to be hot. You still have like Hugh Jackman and what's that man's name? Hugh Grant, (laughs) Um, George Clooney. And these actors are still very much perceived to be like sexy and like a silver fox. But you don't really have the same thing with actresses. Like if we look at Gabrielle Union was like the hot it girl of the 90s and like every black film. And like her most recent role, I think, was the Inspection where she played someone's mom who was abusive. And don't do Gabby Union like that. She's been in things. She has. Yeah. But even that Netflix rom-com they put her in, she was supposed to be like the older woman. She looks not old enough to be playing the older woman. And then there's also like. Angelina Jolie has shifted more into directing you don't see Gwyneth Paltrow in films anymore she shifted to business as has Jessica Alba all of those actresses who were in like more of the 90s rom-coms or like prestige films have switched to doing only prestige or indie films that they'll be nominated for awards for and they don't do as many films in a year as they used to and this can also be associated with the fact that they have more star power so they don't have to work 24-7 But the paychecks that they receive are also far less, it's just far less money than the actors are receiving for these same roles. Like what Robert Downey Jr. was getting in the Avengers, no one else got close to that. And it's like, if we look at how quickly Hollywood is cycling through actresses nowadays, it almost seems like it's quicker. But you just see like this cycle, like every five to 10 years of like actresses just being moved from one part of acting to the next. And it's really bizarre to see because you don't see it happening as quick for actors.
3: Yeah, we have such a disproportionate amount of like, if you just go on um, Netflix or whatever, picking a film, all these dramas, which are like coming of age films, TV shows, all that. Like, it just seems like even at like, like I said, approaching 27, which to be fair, obviously 20 somethings are represented in cinema. I'm not trying to say that. I just mean, like, in terms of what plots are written, why are we so fixated on 17? You couldn't pay me to go back to 17. Like, I think life's only gotten better as I've gotten older. But like, it just seems like that is related to what's actually being written and like such a focus on like that first step into adulthood, as opposed to trying to write interesting plots for women who are, or people in general, but women specifically who are like maybe entering like 50s, 60s. Like, I would love to have more interesting narratives. Like, I would love to like turn on a show and not look back. Like, I don't know why... Cinema, more broadly, wants me to be so nostalgic for a time that I actually was less happy than I am now. I would rather have something like really interesting and fun to look forward to, you know, something aspirational, some aspirational movies or not even aspirational, but you know what I mean? Just something that's like an interesting, complex narrative about an older woman would be like lovely to see. So just, you know, more representation of that. In terms of this film with Crawford and Davis, you're right. They did have apparently they had an alleged feud. On the ringer.com, Lindsay Zolades said that this kind of bordered on self-parody a little bit because they were both kind of like it's kind of a sexist narrative, but like Hollywood divas, you know, like women who were known for like tackling the sexist industry. Davis was like complaints about how like she was on set, like rumors of alcoholism, multiple marriages, a scandal over whether she like contributed to the death of like one of her husbands. And then Crawford, you know, Mommy Dearest, her, uh, like that book from her daughter about her alleged abuse came out. I think there was something like ironic about, I mean, that was after uh, Crawford died, but you know what I mean? Like these are kind of like big Hollywood stars and there's something like, is it subversive or perpetuating the stereotype? But they're going on screen to play these like, you know, characters who are caricatures of them. Not the plot has anything to do with their lives, but you know what I mean? Like these characters themselves of like the kind of unstable older woman or like this diva older woman. And then you have Betty Davis in a character playing that. There's something ironic. There is a kind of meta quality to these kinds of films. And both Davis and Crawford went on to be in like quite a few more of films within this kind of genre. Davis was in Dead Ringer, Hush, Hush, Sweet Charlotte, The Nanny, Scream, Pretty Peggy, Burnt Offerings offered was in straight jacket and I saw what you did so there's like a very meta quality to this film as well which is interesting and very much tied very much tied to their lives
1: just in terms of what you said about it bordering and perhaps being straight on self-parody especially the incorporation of you know their real life alleged feud and supposedly them both being divas on set I feel like and it's I guess related a bit to the question Saber posed about whether these roles were any source of empowerment for you know older women in Hollywood at the time i think i would argue more that it's that self awareness within these films is is not so much specific to these roles but is hollywood always being self referential and kind of obsessed with itself in its own lore i don't know if i see it as positive really in a sort of in the way it characterizes older women or attempts to break down any kinds of societal thoughts on older women and them being divas, haggish. However, especially Betty Davis in her role is so, so brilliant, like the way she plays it. And I would think it would have been really fun to play. (laughs) Like maybe that's a kind of trivial thing to take into account. But I feel like it's maybe representative of the wider issue that perhaps the only complex psychologically rich characters that women could play at the time were either hags or just, you know, in general, these psychological thrillers. So I don't know if I'd ever see this as sort of empowering, but I I do think it's, I don't know, I feel like it was a sort of step in an interesting direction in terms of how older women were portrayed. And I do really like these performances. And it's just fun seeing like two women opposite each other rather than it being, like, a sole female figure in the film. Like, it's, like, they're, you know, playing off of each other. I think that was was cool to see.
2: One of the lines that really stick out to me in this film is at the end when she says, all this time we could have been friends. Because I think you don't necessarily realize how competitive acting is, especially in old Hollywood, when, like, looks were everything and, people were getting all sorts of body modifications done. Well, they are still, (laughs) but in a way that was like quite unethical, like they were being forced to have abortions and get all sorts of things done by the companies that were managing them. So like this competition was so inherent because you were competing for such a limited amount of space and there was always going to be someone new who popped up. And it made me have like more empathy for how competitive these women felt in this in this time frame. Because the entire movie I think you really just see Jane as such a villain and then in that ending moment you realize, oh my gosh, carrying around that guilt and also having in a way the parents kind of play into the competitiveness between them by being like, Oh, like just let her do whatever she wants and making Blanche feel like quite insecure as a child so that when she had the power, she wanted to help her, but not help her so much that she got ahead of her. And how Many of these small things just kind of add up and create such a fractured relationship to what could have been a really beautiful sisterhood between two sisters who did love each other, and so it kind of just brings it in and makes you feel empathetic for both characters. so I think that was a perfect way to end the film instead of just making them out to both be villains in a way. I mean, they both did things to each other that altered their lives like the the car accident lie altered Jane's life as did Jane's treatment afterwards in the car accident to Blanche and I think that line just kind of ties it all in together of like how destructive society is to sisterhood in general not even just like within the framework of this movie or within Hollywood but I also think the inherent comparison that happens between women online or in interpersonal spaces or people that you see on the street like maybe one day you see someone who's prettier than you. And sometimes that really wrecks people's mood. I am very glad that I am beyond the age in which I really care. (laughs) But I definitely understand that for a lot of people, like social media can really be something that really messes with their self-esteem and scrolling makes them see all these people and compare themselves to them and see them as competition rather than like someone who, oh, they like the same clothes as me or they like the same band as me. They instead see them as competition to getting that person's attention. There's just so much competition that is embedded into womanhood that it just kind of creates such an unproductive environment for sisterhood and companionship, which is something that we all crave. Kind of just made me sad, like reflecting on society as a whole and even within, within the film, obviously. And just how much misogyny is like underlyingly competitive towards women because I think when we think of toxic masculinity we think of it as a oh men are in competition with themselves having like a dick measuring contest but we don't necessarily think about it in how competitive misogyny makes women with each other I agree that this translates outside of the Hollywood context as well but I think
0: obviously social media makes everything extreme but these are behaviors that I also see in like older women that I know, like older as in, you know, 50 plus, who didn't grow up with social media. Like this is a dynamic I see between sisters all the time who are not competing for roles, who are just like sisters in the world. This is a dynamic I see between friends or like women in general who are like in the same industry or in the same friend groups or run in the same circles. Like I think that sense of competition is pretty universal across women. And I agree, it made me very sad to watch. Like, this movie is, I loved it. I thought it was kind of really fun and, like, camp and entertaining. But it's also, like, pretty sad. And I think Betty Davis, like, slayed me for real. The way she does this, like, pathetic, like, infantilization of herself when she does her little dances. Um, and she sings a song about how daddy died and there's no one to love her and she's in her, her like her blush is like a, she's just like a little girl and the scene where the pianist is over for the first time and he's like doing the accompaniment and he just looks so disgusted by her i guess and obviously she's like drunk she's old she's fucked up she's not right in the head <laughs> it's it's true <laughs> No, I know, sorry, but that was just a (laughs) blunt summary. Like a checklist, like drunk. (laughs) Not all here. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck the fuck. (laughs) That's what makes her a hag and not just like an elderly woman. It's really hard to watch. And I think her performance is like, there's something about it that's so haunting and freaky. And I think in particular, it's the like, yearning to be younger but for, in her case it's like to be a child again um which is unique like i think we'll talk about this in x as well about like the longing for your younger self and that being like something at the core of the hag as well but i've never seen a hag yearn to be so young right like not their 20 year old self not their 16 year old self but like their, you know 10 and under it's really weird. It's really freaky. I think that was the horror element to me. where I was like, oh, oh no. Like, I don't like watching a grown woman act like a child. It's strange. But all that like, being said, I think mean, Joe Crawford is also great. She dies uh, wonderfully. She doesn't die in the end, but she's, you know, a, a, a corpse, half corpse for most of it. So, you know, there's not a lot to be said. She has a desperation that made me very upset as well where she's like trying to relate to her sister and say like please help me like you i need you to feed me i need you to like you're the only person who can care for me and i'm surprised she didn't lose her shit before i mean she was paralyzed but like i would have looked for a phone much sooner you're like i'm built different (laughs) i would get down the stairs scene of her crawling down the (laughs) stairs was also really great too i mean just like all the body acting Like in older horror movies or suspense or whatever they call them, dramatic suspense, sometimes people don't classify these horror. I absolutely do. Without special effects, that's how you do it. That long ass scene of her like trying to get down the stairs, like even the, I mean, she beats her ass, but like that's not even the most horrific scene. It's just like her laying in that bed and begging for help. I'm like horrific. It's horrible. I lived. I had a great time. I would listen to you doing, like, a YouTube summary of this film solo.
2: I have to say, I didn't expect her to actually beat her. And I've seen this film before, like, when I was doing my undergrad. But I completely forgot that she actually did beat her when she came down to Sears to try to sneak the phone. I was like, oh. And then that's when the film was, like, it reminded me more of Misery. And I started to see more of, like, hell. The pattern of hack exploitation has continued and misery is fantastic. But also, this film kind of reminds me of Phantom Thread, in which wanting someone to be solely dependent on you as like a form of manipulation is a really interesting form of horror, I think, because we perceive care to be something that we give to people that we love and out of like devotion and not out of manipulation. So, seeing it used as a horror trope. Within misery in this film and Phantom Thread, as an act of control and subjugation, I think is quite an interesting twist on things, and also kind of feeds into the Hag narrative because we perceive older people to be, or like older women, particularly like someone who would be like your grandmother or something, as someone who would make cookies and be so so kind and caring and want to give love. So, giving those same that same like care. But in a way of bringing like pain and control and manipulation, very interesting.
1: Back to Betty Davis, as always. Maybe this is unfair to say I was surprised. I think maybe because I don't return to these sort of '60s films a lot, these very like psychologically rich Hitchcockian types of films. Like it's not something I you know sit down and watch on a Friday night. I think I was just reminded of how special they can be because like so much of the focus was on and not so much in this film but maybe we'll see later like the influence of like psychosexual undertones i don't know i think she played like you said this desire to be not only young but to be a child because that was the peak of her success like there's a distinct motivation between her and then when we'll see an ex with the hag who it seemed to be more about a sexual agency there's real complexity to these characters in terms of like their motivations for wanting to be young again, obviously, it's still tied to, you know, ways in which they're desirable. Not so much in in Baby Jane, because she was a child. And I think that her performing was very much about a sort of, you know, Hollywood stardom, which I guess is desirability there. But it, it doesn't have the same kind of like psychosexual undertone as we'll see later. I think it is a joy to see Betty Davis play out these sort of roles, because they are You don't know what you're missing until you're confronted with it. So much of horror is like young women running about naked and being chopped up that I'm now like, God, I wanna see more hags. Unless it's brought to your attention, like it sort of slips under the radar. And actually there's such a rich history. And I also really enjoy seeing women take on these kinds of roles. Can they be reductionist, misogynistic? Sure, but they do it well. I was just gonna say
3: exactly. I saw an article last year, and it was when Barbarian came out, and I can't remember which article it is now, but I'm sure I'm going to end up quoting it. But it was talking about, like, hag horror. And I was like, oh, hag horror. Actually, in, like, so many. In so many. Surprisingly, Barbara Creed actually does not have the hag as, like, a point that she dissects.
0: That's actually quite shocking. The hag feels, like you said in the beginning, like, it ticks a lot of boxes. It's-
3: accompasses everything and she does she like mentions like hag in relation to like a lot of the appearances appear like older women but it's like in passing i was like going point by point through the monfem tropes and there is archaic mother which i don't really like in the book there's archaic mother and castrating mother but i think they're kind of related but essentially overbearing mother who suppresses their child's like identity i think you see that in these films often as like a domineering mother or mother-in-law figure like, we've got Psycho, we've got the baby, we've got the killing kind. In terms of, like, a possessed monster, like, there's the taking of Deborah Logan. In terms of the monstrous womb, I think, like, in this, like, we don't necessarily get that, like, explicitly, but we get it in more of, like, underlying themes, which imply that post-menopausal women, the womb equals death. But, like, this is also more overt in films like Toombod, which have that elderly woman, and then extreme womb imagery. I was thinking about Timbod through all of these. I was like, now that's a hag. Timbod and Barbarian, like, there's monstrous womb. And then, like, vampire. There's a literal vampire and, like, older woman potential hag figure in The Hunger, which we've done. Greed discussed the vampire in terms of queer subtext. These films aren't apocalyptic vampirism, but there's definitely queer subtext in the genre with whatever happened to Aunt Alice and What's the Matter with Helen. Witch, oh my god, you can't separate hag from witch. Uh, hag is derived from an old English word for witch. Um, and we ha- we've mentioned Sasperia, like all of the witch films have some sort of elderly woman who's like synonymous with hag. And then there's Femme which is like, I think the only difference in terms of Creed's depiction of Femme that's a woman who's been like assaulted um, sexually. And this iteration of it I don't think that sexual element is here I think it's just women generally are taking revenge for like how they've been treated by like their husbands there's straight jacket and there's night watch or maybe they're trying to get revenge for their son like in persecution or Friday the 13th and like with their daughter-in-law with like fanatic basically like all of these films there's mon elements and they're all embodied by the hag like she kind of just encompasses all of them all at once
2: do we think this is society saying that the scariest thing a woman can do is age?
3: Yeah, literally. I think that is the moral of the story that, like, the scariest, this absolute pinnacle of our society is like a fear is like an aging
1: woman. Aside from like that being deeply misogynistic, the way that a woman is characterized by her ability to reproduce, the idea of a woman getting older and not being able to provide that one biological function and their also their, their cultural purpose. I think that I'm obviously conflating these sort of cultural ideals with maybe something that is perhaps more a sort of innate fear of aging because it's like it's so you know it's the antithesis of nature and life and we're all just like organisms wanting to survive and I think that there is also a primitive fear of bodies deteriorating and if we think about how important the womb is in like the concept of womanhood as is purposeful towards a society then yeah, the most terrifying thing a woman can do is age. But I also think that an older woman becomes fearful because without that kind of expectation of birthing, then there is like, there's a weird sort of power reclaimed in terms of older women are like, hey, I'm still a fucking human being who has their own desires and wishes in the world. And I think that that is made monstrous. And I think that's a lot of like why the castrating mother figure is is so monstrous is because it's like, if the fear of that sort of like, you know, reincorporation back into the womb is is removed, then it becomes more a sort of active aggression. A woman becomes like autonomized from their like sole purpose that's like, you know, that they've been imprisoned by by society. And then they're like, oh, but now you're a person and how do I treat you? if I can't subjugate you as this like walking birth machine. She does try and seduce the pianist or
0: she had,
2: you know
1: It seems disgusting. Too fair, she is also like clinically insane. And she's also dressed as a child.
2: Not to downplay the importance of like the womb in society or that society places on the womb, but I kind of think that it's more linked to like purity and evil. Like I think so much of Youthfulness is attached to purity and abundance and beauty, more pure and has experienced less things in life and is more innocent. And youth as the absolute purity and innocence, and an old woman as someone who is evil because um, they are so far from basically this this beauty ideal of innocence and purity. Don't I don't... You think
1: fertility plays into that as well, though.
2: Yeah, I think so. But, um, I feel like in a way, hmm, I don't necessarily think that it's only associated with fertility because I think there's something in particular about how undefined you are as a youth versus like how solidified a woman's identity is as an older woman. I mean, there's still, I guess, older women who are finding themselves, but I think something about the idea of not being aware of how society views women and not being cynical is the difference between a hag. Like in these films, I think Blanche and Jane both are very aware of how society has discarded them and how they are viewed as not attractive anymore, washed up and useless. I think in Gone Girl, there's the same thing. Like she is, Kind of hagified by the idea of being replaced by someone younger, by her husband, the feeling of being discarded, and knowing that your place is limited is like the difference I think in these films of like being the hag, and also even in like the hunger she needs to keep consuming others for for the youth. Like, in all of these films, it's kind of like consuming the younger woman so that you remain young in a way of, like, reabsorption. So I feel like it's it's inherent in the competition of knowing that you will be replaced. And there's something about that, I think, that makes women distrustful of older women. I mean, in the workplace, I, I don't... I don't mean this in an offensive way, but I have yet to find a woman who is significantly older than me in my work field who has been like, let me mentor you. Overwhelmingly, it's more like hostility, like this bitch is going to try to take my job or like making me feel like you need to earn your keep before you can get to this place. A feeling like I had to work so hard for this thing, you need to work hard too. Otherwise you will take from me what I worked so hard to get And I think that is part of where this horror lore comes in. It's like the cynicalness of knowing you'll be replaced or knowing that you'll be discarded. It makes this cycle from like the innocent purity person like Snow White to the evil stepmom who's the hag.
0: Taya, you have just unlocked a chamber of my brain. You've connected a lot of neurons for me. So the term replacement is the key here because I was trying, it was gnawing at me about like, there's something here that's transphobic as well. So the problem is that we view a lot of horror movies in this like Freudian weird way. And I think the problem with that is that's about why are men afraid of hags? Women are afraid of hags, I think, or they're afraid of like becoming a hag or, you know, the fear of whatever, the, the aging woman, fine. But it's not for the exact same reason. I think that This, like, fear of being replaced gets extended into all types of things. So there are obviously, like, transphobic cis women who are afraid that trans women can just, like, be in their spaces and claim Mm -hmm. womanhood. And they're upset because they're like, you haven't earned it. They're like, you didn't have to have periods or whatever. You don't have to give birth. Being a woman is defined by the womb. Back to what Mila and Louisa were saying as well about this, like, obsession with, like, your only usefulness is that you give birth, right? Like, like, like there are women who cannot wrap their heads around like, if I am not a birth giver, then what am I? That's also fear of menopause. That's also fear of aging, of like, if I'm no longer like fertile and sexy, even if it's not about like literally your husband wants you to have babies on babies on babies. Maybe it's just like fear of like infertility, meaning like the start of your aging process and that your body being sexually like attractive is also part of your like usefulness as a woman and like who is going to replace me and the thought for people of like oh my god a woman who doesn't have a womb a woman who doesn't have a vagina a woman who doesn't have a vulva could replace me and men are still attracted to them and they can just like move in the world they can they can have the jobs that i can have they don't have to like go through what i went through as a like quote-unquote woman we're defining woman by your womb your parts your whatever this is where it gets all fucking tangled because our post-menopausal women not women are women who never get periods who never intend on giving birth are women who are intersex are all those people not women like you've lost the plot first of all <laughs> and like this is not denying that like Having a womb comes with its burdens, but you need to be so careful about defining womanhood because all of a sudden, your mother and grandmother who are postmenopausal are not women. Everything is sort of like falling apart for you. And so it's this like self protection mechanism of like the fear of aging, the fear of the younger woman, the fear of the trans woman. Like to me, they're all sort of like bound in each other. And like, yes, it's biological determinism and like, the aging is also a part of biological determinism. Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm still chewing on all this. These thoughts are like new. They were coming to me as y'all were speaking, but I think they're all
1: connected. Ty, you spoke a lot on competition between women. My envy has always been directed towards men because to me, a man can exist as this kind of neutral blank slate of a person. And obviously I'm not saying that men are not affected by their gender. Also what you said just about, we've talked loads about, you know, the sense of youth and innocence, and there's no children in this film, apart from obviously when we see them play their younger selves. Like these are two women who never had children. It's never mentioned, but actually I think it creates this sort of subtle unease around these women. And I don't think I noticed it when I was watching, but actually it added to their monstrosity not so much um, Blanche, I think Blanche is a sort of more meek and subservient and very kind to a fault, like she's a people pleaser. But I think that Jane wanting and dressing like a child creates this really w- weird sort of subversion of this sense that there's a preference for women to exhibit youthfulness and innocence to keeping women young in order to remain desirable towards men but there's this weird subversion of that because this haggish woman is like cosplaying a child and in a sense that should be like the ideal it's doing things with gender that is i love how like messy it is because it does show how messy our concepts of gender are
3: What you said is so on point. Alyssa Miller from No Film School says that psychopity films are an important part of film history that challenged traditional generals and addressed important societal issues and paved the way for later horror films and helped create more nuanced portrayals of women in film. Going back to the original question you posed, Zeba, about like, are these films, you know, were they positive or negative? I think it's like difficult to say because they do raise all of these questions by even I know they're perpetuating our fears but they're also like kind of collapsing them conflating them on themselves as they do it like biological determinism is like the root of like all these like various issues like homophobia transphobia like ageism for women like you know I think what you said about like them not being mothers as well like that taps into like even them, like, again, Crawford and Davis' actresses who were, like, really career-driven and how that affected their personal relationships, like, that feeds into it. Again, there's that kind of self-parody element. I think this kind of genre is, like, just so important for, like, learning about how society views and treats women and, like, and gender more broadly, which is why I, I like them. I think it's just such, oh, I gotta say fertile ground. So what do you make of Elvira's character? She plays the maid. She tragically is our first to fall. In fact, we don't see many kills. We get one kill and it's Elvira. And it's notable that she's a woman of color.
0: Presumably she's been watching the dynamic for
1: years, no? Between the sisters. She's the only one who has access to being in the house. She seems quite protective of Blanche, so I think she must have seen a lot of their dynamic played out.
0: But maybe not all. But you would think that Blanche would have told her, like, I am being abused.
1: No, because she was, like, weirdly protective of her sister and tried to, like, deny any confrontation. It was kind of like Stockholm
3: syndrome maybe she's paralyzed like she is not in a position to reject her sister you know it's like she's in a extreme position of like dependency because of the lack of like mobility and infrastructure to get around in her flat and her in her mansion also she has the guilt she's living with the guilt of the attempted murder that then paralyzed her
1: you know when Elvira's like she's trying to get into the the locked room that Blanche is in. She's like really worried she's like Blanche you in there and she runs and she gets her little hammer and she's like frantic. She's like I'm gonna get you out and it's just a shot of her like neatly like hammering away. <laughs> it was just so sweet. It was like Blanche I'm coming Oh, her character is sweet in general So sweet. It genuinely was like a bit heart wrenching and she she fell. She fell hard rp she definitely is the mammy character and whether
0: or not she would have like cared so much about blanche as to like risk her own safety to go back into the house or like lie to jane about having the house keys at all like i would be surprised he she let her get away with that like you're not making her give back the keys that feels silly but i don't know i feel like i I haven't watched enough movies from this period to know like, okay, I feel like there's always a maid and she always maybe saves the day or attempts to or dies or is like very protective of the white person who pays her. Like, I'm sure that there, that she's like a type. I just haven't seen it.
3: The maid is always a really nosy figure, I think, in films, right? So I guess it's like that kind of tenacity is universal.
0: I guess like her and the neighbor who liked Jane from watching her on TV were like, they were ready to, to to risk it all. Daddy issues. Do we
3: even need to say it? Do we need to go into the daddy issues? No, because like I haven't thought about it.
1: I don't want to think about it. <laughs> Thank you for listening to The Monstrous Feminine. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Soundcloud and Spotify at The Monstrous Feminine Podcast and on Twitter at The MonfemPod. Pod. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and follow us on TikTok at The Monstrous Feminine Pod for podcast clips and more fun. Brooms up, witches out.